This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC Studios, go PowerCats Cole Carmody. Welcome into the PowerCat Sources Podcast. I'm your host today, Cole Carmody, and joining me will be former Kansas State Wildcat, former Chiefs reporter, and current director of athlete content at Let It Fly Media in Kansas City, BJ Kissel. And now we bring in Mr. BJ Kissel. BJ, how's it going today? Uh, it's pretty good. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to talk a little K-State baseball. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You know, like we were talking about before, anytime we can get alumni to come in and talk about their experiences at K-State, I think it's extremely valuable. And I, I'm i so grateful that you're able to do this today. So I guess kind of what are you up to these days? <laughs> well, I just started a new job in September uh, with a company called Let It Fly Media. Uh, we're a creative content production house. Uh, my role is uh, director of athlete content. Uh, so as, you know, college athletes and players and, you know, this whole name image likeness stuff, as that all kind of comes more to the forefront, uh, athletes are going to take kind of individual personal branding on their social media channels and and their stories and their content. It, a lot of that's going to be brought in-house to them personally um, where they can kind of tell their own stories to their own channels. And we're kind of... Um, building our uh, niche within that space. And so I'm excited. I had spent the previous six years working for the Kansas City Chiefs uh, as their team reporter, working with the players there. And now I get an opportunity to work more directly with the players and the storytelling stuff that I really enjoy doing uh, and kind of humanizing those guys beyond just what they do when they you know step out on the field. Cool deal. I know that that's something that you, you mentioned that NCAA likeness situation. I, I would fully imagine that here in the next few years when that that law is passed, you guys are going to pick up a whole nother uh, uh, brand of, of, of not only consumers, but athletes themselves. Yeah, there's a whole mess of NIL that has to be figured out first. And, and we're right in the middle of it. We have legal counsel who's right uh, on the front lines of knowing what's going on from a political standpoint. Um, there's Didn't realize it was as political as it is. Uh, to get some of this stuff passed. And I know, you know, the state of Florida looks like it's going to be the first one to really get this thing going, but uh, nobody really knows what this is going to look like uh, yet. I know there's some companies out there that are setting the stage and the groundwork for athletes to be able to make money um, off their likeness, uh, like Open Doors, Influencer, some of those bigger companies um, that are kind of the tech companies behind the distribution of getting the content to the athletes, uh, where we're more focused on creating the actual brand for the player and creating the content and telling their story. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that's going to have to get figured out because the majority of those deals, um, as it relates to NIL, at least early on, are going to be smaller deals. You know, they're going to be going to the local, you know, uh, hospital in Manhattan up there by the football stadium <laughs> and uh, going and doing some of these smaller visits. It's not it's not a lot of money, 
um, I don't think that's going to be thrown around for some of these starting players. Cause I think, I think everybody kind of understands that, you know, companies that are willing to pay money, it's going to be, you know, for some of the, the bigger name players, they want to see that value. Not unlike you see in the NFL where a lot of the endorsements go uh, to the more marquee players. But uh, even from a contract standpoint, uh, there's a lot that has to get figured out that a lot of people aren't thinking about yet as it relates to these players signing these contracts. What's in them? Uh, do these players have representation to read through these contracts to make sure it's in their best interest to sign them? Uh, do they need lawyers for that? And how much is a lawyer going to cost for a smaller deal? So it's a whole different deal that I've spent a lot of time uh, working through to figure out how we can position ourselves to help athletes, because that's um, that's what all of Let It Fly Media are former sports journalists um, and athletes at different stages. Um, and, you know, I was a college athlete, obviously playing baseball at K-State. My wife was a college athlete at K-State playing volleyball there. Uh, and we've been around sports our entire lives. So uh, we want to help athletes and as nil grows we got to figure out how we can um, help with what we do but also make sure that you know everything's buttoned up for the athlete and they're not these in unintended consequences that people aren't paying attention to now as you know this whole world really changes and gets flipped on its head for the first time there's a lot of growing pains we're all gonna have to go through i think that's awesome i mean there's so much opportunity out there for athletes now and within the coming years, hopefully you guys, I think that's awesome what you're doing. You mentioned um, your time at K-State with baseball. We'll get into that. You also mentioned your time with the Chiefs, and I can't not have you on a podcast and ask you, how cool was it to see the Chiefs (laughs) finally win the Super Bowl? For somebody who grew up sitting in section 338, you know, row 10, seats 11 and 12 with my dad uh, from the time I could walk until I went to college, um, it was special. It was special to get that job to be a part of it. I thought about that every time I walked into either the practice facility uh, or just, you know, on game day. You know, you walk over to Arrowhead and you walk out that tunnel and I would get jitters even six years into the job. Uh, it was an amazing job. It was an amazing experience. Um, I would recommend that job to anybody who wants to get into this business. I'd recommend going and working for teams. Uh, I've said that to a lot of students and a lot of people from K-State that have reached out to me um, that, while this whole industry is always going to be changing, whether it's uh, platforms like you guys itself that go PowerCat and all of the the parent companies with Fox Media and Bleacher Report and um, all of these different companies and local newspapers, you know, trying to figure out how to stay afloat and to monetize, you know, their content right now. It's it's why the world is changing. Places like The Athletic uh, start mm-hmm. popping up with these paid subscriptions. So I've always advised people um, to not you know, kind of stick their thumb up at a team site because teams are always going to need their own in-house content people. Uh, and those those people are not, you know, being paid off ad revenue from banner ads or whatever else are placed on websites or mm-hmm. pre-roll ads for videos or whatever that stuff that, that, you know, digital media companies have to sell and use to make money. And so that's kind of how I'm thinking about that space. And, and yeah. Well, the K-State family is huge and the k-state family is awesome i think you can agree with me on that and one person who was a part of that k-state family also won a super bowl with the chiefs and that's byron pringle does that how cool is that also i mean i know we're on the chiefs here but how cool is that just to see somebody like byron pringle who has shared the same experiences as you and so many um others be able to have success and find success at the highest level 
It's awesome. As somebody who grew up, obviously, I, I actually grew up a KU fan. I don't think a lot of K-Staters know that. My wife knows that, unfortunately. Well, so now you're going to get exposed. So My wife's from Manhattan, <laughs> and she went to K-State. So her whole family knows this because they're all K-Staters. My whole family were KU people. Uh, until And that was my allegiance until I went to college. Uh, <laughs> and then actually ended up going to Central Missouri uh, right out of high school. I uh, was part of Brad Hill's 2003 National Championship team that – led him to getting the job at K-State. Mm-hmm. And then I transferred with him and played my last three years um, in Manhattan. But uh, yeah, it, it we love K-State. We love everything about K-State. It was it was cool um, for me to be around Byron because he knew I was a K-Stater. I was not shy about it. Uh, Herbie Teope, the lead beat mm-hmm. writer for the Kansas City Stars, also a K-Stater. Blair Kirkhoff uh, is a K-Stater. So there's a lot of K-Staters um, on the Chiefs beat, uh, people who are around in media. But yeah, it uh, it was special to be around Byron. I know when we played the Broncos, uh, I was standing on the sideline talking to Byron and Dalton Reisner, uh, another K-Stater. And uh, every time I went to the Senior Bowl and went to different places, I was always looking for the K-Staters, whether it was Cody Whitehair. Back in the day, it was Arthur Brown and Chris mm. Harper. Um, I've always sought out the K-State guys wherever I've been, and it's Tyler Lockett. It's always been a running joke wherever we go for Chiefs content that if there's a K-Stater around, like the Chiefs channels are going to have content about – whatever K-Staters in the area. Uh, but Byron was great. It was cool to, to be there, you know, to watch him uh, win a Super Bowl and witness it. And Byron's got a crazy, cool, um, inspiring story of his own with things that he's gone through and, and maturing that he's done throughout his life. And he's talked a little bit about it, and that, it's great to see. But, uh, yeah, as you know, somebody finished off from earlier, somebody grew up a, a K a K-State fan and to see Byron win a Super Bowl and somebody just grew up a Chiefs fan to be standing on the sidelines down in Miami when they won the Super Bowl. Uh, I was doing stuff for, I was a sideline reporter for the radio network uh, that year and to be down there watching them win and to be within like five feet of, um, you know, Sammy Watkins catching that, you know, long pass towards the end of the game to, to get them to go ahead and touch, or, yeah, the go ahead touchdown. Uh, memories I'll never forget and things that I'll take with me uh, and share with my kids. And I've got, luckily I've got pictures of me standing on the sideline and, and acting like an idiot, jumping up and down and cheering <laughs> while I'm supposed to be working. Uh, but luckily I've got those pictures so I can show my kids one day that dad was cool. And uh, he did have a good view of that game. It's so cool. You know, Byron Pringle, I think is, is really the, and he is the typical K state story. I mean, you, when you think about from the junior college ranks, all the way to undrafted free agent and then having success and, you know, to potentially, being a number two or number three receiver this fall, I mean, it is so cool what he has been able to do. And I know K-State fans are extremely proud of him just because of, you know, he's one of our own. And that's the thing that I think makes the K-State fan base so amazing is that once you are a part of the K-State family, you are a part of the K-State family for life. And another person that was a part of the K-State family, you mentioned it, is Brad Hill. And so I want to get into that because, obviously, you played baseball at K-State. You you mentioned you started at Central Missouri State, which is now the University of Central Missouri, which I still – I'm not even that old, and I still think of it as CMSU. I always say CMSU. (laughs) It's hard for me to say UCM. It just sounds weird to me. So Coach Hill, amazing. I think the things that he did for this program were just truly awesome. And and now, you know, Pete Hughes is in here and and trying to – replicate some of the success he had just how fun was it to play for coach hill and to come over with him like you mentioned when you came from cmsu coming to k-state how was that transition and how was it actually just playing for coach hill 
It was amazing. I owe a lot uh, to Coach Hill, both personally, professionally. Um, I did a lot of growing up under Coach Hill, both at Central Missouri and when I got to K-State, and for different reasons. Uh, and then Coach Hill saw me go through a lot. I went through a lot in my life when I was at K-State. I lost my dad uh, my junior year to cancer um, when I was playing baseball there. And so, like, Coach Hill has seen me through a lot. And it wasn't just Coach Hill. It was Scott Thomason, uh, who was the operations director at the time. He's from Manhattan, who's back at Central Missouri now, <laughs> uh, over is an athletic director in charge of all the facilities down there uh, in Warrensburg. And so uh, there were a lot of people, uh, not just Coach Hill, that were involved. Uh, but it, it was an amazing experience to play for Coach Hill. I knew growing up in the Kansas City area that everybody wants to go D1, and you've got these big dreams of mm-hmm. you know playing in front of 10,000 people. But uh, when you talk to baseball people around, especially when I was in high school, they said, like, what's the, who's the best coach? What's the best program? Central Missouri was the top of the list every single time because of just how dominant they were at the Division II level. Um, and they're still very, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the two years I redshirted my first year at Central Missouri, uh, I had gotten injured. I was redshirting anyway, uh, but I had gotten injured. I had a collapsed lung uh, my freshman year wow. right before Christmas. Uh, about four months after I got there, like I said, I didn't have a good fall when I first went there. I was redshirting uh, after I signed, and then I got hurt. And so there was a lot of doubt, um, let alone, you know, a year later, Coach Hill bringing mm-hmm. me with him to K-State. Uh, or There's a funny story behind that now but that I can share in a minute. But, yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer uh, from a baseball perspective at that time to go work with Coach Hill. Uh, the year before I got there, I think they finished third in the country um or fourth and i think we finished third my freshman year that i redshirted uh went 53 and 10 uh that year and then the next year we were 54 and 8 so you're talking about winning like 117 110 mm-hmm. games and losing like less than 20 mm-hmm. and so we were so dominant at central missouri uh at all levels um and not just because of the top talent that we had but just the depth everything it, it was fun to step out on the field knowing that uh how good you were and to coach hill's credit and the one thing that it was a little different when he got to K-State because he had strength coaches and he had, mm-hmm. you know, all these more resources that we didn't have in Central Missouri. But, you know, he ran us a lot at Central Missouri. Uh, and looking back on it, and I've kind of taken some of these things when I've coached, you know, high school. I mm-hmm. don't think the high school guys probably appreciated it much. But, you know, we were so talented at Central Missouri that he knew that we knew that whenever we stepped on the field, we were going to be more talented than the team that we played against. And that can make you lazy. That can make you kind of entitled and not feel like you have to work for it um, because you just let the talent take over. And so that was part of why he ran us to death. Like we, like literally my lung collapsed my freshman year from conditioning, uh, running a a long course. They called the long course. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was about three and a half miles. And we had to run it like five times within a three day period within like 30 degrees. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just one of those get tough kind of Mm -hmm. moments. And I think, you know, there was no suing back then. It was yeah. kind of like, hey, stuff happened. I got hurt. Um, stuff, you move on with it. You deal with it. You move on with it. Uh, and so he made you work for it. And as a kid coming out of, you know, Blue Valley High School, and I thought I was pretty good uh, to go to high school and to get humbled a little bit uh, my, my, the fall of my freshman year and then to get hurt and to have a lot of doubts of whether I was going to even be part of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, going into that second, my second year, my redshirt freshman year, you know, there was no guarantees that I was going to stick it out there or be a part of it. And so that, you know, six to eight months after I got hurt, uh, after my lung collapsed and I lost about 25 pounds in the hospital for almost two weeks, uh, with some complications while I was in there that, uh, the biggest change in my life, um, for me mentally to just get past something 
was after I got out of the hospital, getting ready for that next fall to show them that not only could I make the team, but I could be an asset Mm -hmm. to them. And that whole period, Coach Hill challenged me. Um, And luckily for me, I answered that call. I came back the next fall um, after having the ERA of like nine and a half, I think, my (laughs) freshman year. uh, That first fall, I didn't give up an earned run the entire fall. And I was voted the top relief pitcher as a freshman coming off of a collapsed lung. Uh, I had ran. I was in the best shape of my life during all the conditioning. I was intentionally running faster than everyone else and just staring at coach uh, the entire time when we were running hundreds on the track because I wanted him to know that I wasn't this fragile, broken thing with this collapsed lung that I could be counted on and that I was healthy. And so I was going out of my way to show him that I was in good shape and that I could handle all of this. And that led to a fall where I pitched really well and it just kind of clicked for me. Uh, I was the top. I was the first guy out of the bullpen uh, in 2003 for the national championship team. I uh, picked up the win, kind of vultured it in a little bit. I didn't give up a run, but I came in <laughs> in a tie game, got one out uh, in the semifinal game to go to the national championship and ended up winning it in the bottom of that inning. So I technically got the win uh, in the semifinal game to go to the national championship. Um, and then when he got the job at K-State, there was an opportunity for me to, to challenge myself and to see if I could play at a higher level. Because uh, we had already won a national title, we had achieved everything we possibly could, and I was ready for the next challenge. That's something you don't see a lot: is the jump from Division Two to Division One. Um, I think about with K State football is a little bit different, but you know, Chris Kleiman coming from FCS to FBS, it, it really, and I think I want to say um, that just doesn't happen that much. I mean, so for the fact that he was able to, obviously, you guys had an amazing program and. Central Missouri still has an amazing program, like you mentioned, um, relatively have fairly quick success. I mean, I, I was looking at the conference standings. The Big 12, we'll get into that in the second half here. But the <laughs> I got big, stories. Yeah, the Big yeah. the Big 12 is <laughs> has been the best, one of the best conferences in baseball for, for years now. But yeah. for him to be able to come in and, and, and win some games, I mean, the program where, let's face it, I mean, K-State baseball has not exactly always been the best program, you know, in the Big 12. Yeah. And so for him to yeah, be able to come struggled. in, for him to be able to come in and have some some type of success and then, you know, eventually years down the line make it to one game away from the College World Series, obviously the <laughs> pinnacle of uh, college baseball, I think is very cool. Um, we'll get back with BJ Kissel coming up here in the second half of the podcast. Stay tuned. You're listening to the PowerCat Sources Podcast. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast continues after this short break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, 
eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the PowerCat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back in here to the PowerCat Sources Podcast. We're talking with BJ Kissel of Let It Fly Media. So, you get to K-State, and... You come in, and what is your initial thoughts? Because you said you were, earlier in the podcast, you said, I was a KU fan all the way. So what were your initial thoughts? You come, you step foot on campus, ready to start at a new school, ready to start in a new program with, you know, your same head coach, but still everything else is new. What were your initial thoughts when you first stepped foot in Manhattan? Man, that's such a loaded question. I had a lot of people I went to high school with that went to K-State. So from a personal standpoint, like I knew people who were there. Uh, so it wasn't completely foreign in that way, but there was some, it was me and one other guy, um, Steve Murphy. Uh, we were roommates all through college at K-State. Uh, we were the two guys that, that had, the two players that had come up with Coach Hill from Central Missouri, along with uh, Tommy Myers, who was an assistant coach, and then Scott Thomason, mm-hmm. uh, the operations director, had come uh, and then went back to Central Missouri mm-hmm. afterwards, as did Coach Myers, yep, yep. Uh, went back and was the head coach at Central for a while. So uh, it was weird at first because you want to, create these new relationships with your new teammates um, that had been, you know, playing for coach Clark. And we mm-hmm. knew coach Clark. I knew coach Clark. I still know him. Uh, mm-hmm. We went to the same church uh, up in Manhattan <laughs> with him and his wife up at St. Thomas more. And so I have all the respect to the world for coach Clark. Um, but it was kind of weird being like coaches guys. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of how we felt right. me and Steve when we got there uh, that we were the guys who followed coach. So we were coaches guys. And so we hosted a lot of the recruits when they came in that fall uh, and everything, but it was kind of a wake up call for, for Steve and I, because we wanted that challenge of, of playing D one baseball. You know, I, I knew I wasn't going to get drafted. I wasn't that good, but you know, with three years of eligibility left and, and wanting to know how I have an opportunity to compete at the highest level of baseball um, in college baseball, big 12 at that time sent three teams to three of the eight teams in the college world series came from the big 12, my fir- our first year at K state. And so uh, the first oh, eye-opening thing for me was just that Steve and I were coaches guys, and we kind of had to to feel our way through that with some of our new teammates because the one thing that Coach really wanted to do that first fall was figure out who wanted to be there and who didn't. Uh, a lot of the the leftover upperclassmen had either transferred away or just quit baseball altogether at K-State before Coach got there. And so when we first got there that fall, it was before some of the new NCA rules regarding how many guys you could sign for the fall and then cut. And then they have to go play Juco ball somewhere. And then they come back and it basically becomes like a huge tryout during the fall is how some of the Texas schools mm-hmm. were using uh, like the university of Texas sides, 40 pitchers in the fall. And then the 20 who don't make it go to San Jacinto junior college and then try to come back the next fall and do the same thing. So something like that was going on. I don't know all the rules, but they created these rules where you couldn't, you can't do that anymore. Uh, but we didn't have that rule my first year. So there were a ton of players. We were doubled up in lockers. And honestly, like it was every other day, like there was a pink slip in somebody's locker. Wow. They had a bad day that fall that like, mm-hmm. they were no longer on the team. And we were running every day, like six o'clock in the morning. We were up at the football indoor running because he wanted to see who would quit. He wanted to see who was who wanted to be there to help change um, the program and change the culture 
of what, what everything was. So a lot of, for Steve and I, a lot of Central Missouri was dominating. It was winning. It was proving you're the best every time you step on the field. And as soon as we got to K-State, it was, hey, we got to build a program up that hasn't had a winning season, like is struggling in the Big 12. Like we've got to turn this around. And in that conference, it's really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And cool, I'll tell you this story because I'm not going to name <laughs> any names <laughs> because I'm friends with these guys. But I'll never forget one of the first days that, that Murphy and I uh, were in Manhattan um, before the fall. I think it was like August, um, September, something like that. Because I think there was a, an NFL preseason game on. And uh, we got a text message from you know one of the seniors uh, who lived with a couple other guys on the baseball team who invited us over to hang out um, on a Sunday afternoon. And it was to watch football. Um, so I can't remember all the timing of everything, but there was a football game on. We were all hanging out. It was early. And we had conditioning Monday morning at like 6 a.m. or 5.30, we had to be there. And so, and Murphy and I coming from Central, knowing how much we ran, mm-hmm. we're like, we're drinking bottles of water. We had bananas <laughs> that we took with us. We're like, we know what to, like, this is not going to be fun, guys. And we got there and they had a keg. Oh man! Like they were handing out cups. <laughs> and like Murphy and I just looked at each other and we're trying, like, we're not those guys. Like we're freshmen too. So we're younger yeah. than these guys. We're new to this program with the coach. And we just kind of walked in and we're like, hey, no thanks. You know, you know we got conditioning tomorrow. And one of the the guys who lived there ended up not playing for K-State, but was on the team at the time, just said, like, we've run before, you know, we, we've got this. And I remember looking at mumbling to Murphy, I was like, either we're really out of shape and, like, we just complained a lot and this is normal, or these guys have no idea what tomorrow is going to be. <laughs> and lo and behold, the next day, like, guys are throwing up during warm-ups and like all this stuff and we, Murphy and I just kind of looked at each other like hey we knew what this was going to be and not that we were these great athletes or in great shape or anything but we weren't drinking the day before yeah. that's for sure so that's kind of where it started for us uh as just far as like a buy-in of mm-hmm. what this is what it's going to look like and uh yeah it, there are some stories there at the beginning those first couple years but uh, I've never had so much pride and and guys that I played with uh, before the program really turned around and, and started having the success that you mentioned, being one win away from going to Omaha. I mean, those guys that were a part of that, A.J. Morris, Rob Vaughn, uh, those guys were freshmen when we were when I was a senior. And, like, those guys were the young class that Coach Hill, when he mm-hmm. got to bring his recruits in, you know, that year they won the Big 12. Like, a lot of those guys are the guys that, you know, we helped as seniors. Mm-hmm. And that I take a lot of pride in, in guys like Daniel Edwards and and some of those guys that had success just – we had good relationships and we kind of taught him and taught those guys what coach Hill was expecting. And we didn't have the talent. I didn't have the talent of the guys that he was bringing in, but I knew what coach Hill expected. And that was one of the reasons he saw value in me being there. It was just kind of being that, that voice for him, not necessarily coach's pet or any of that kind of stuff, but just kind of knowing what to do, knowing the signs, knowing the rules, knowing that I'm going to be a good teammate to everybody around me. And that I wasn't trying to be the Friday night starter that I liked being a, a fire relief guy. Uh, and I was comfortable with that role. And so it, I had a lot of pride seeing the success that they had after we left. But uh, those first couple of years were pretty rough uh, just for how much we struggled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first year at K-State, we started off 21 and 6 that first year. We got mm-hmm. ranked. Uh, we, we were 23rd in the country going into that first series, the first Big 12 series against Mizzou. And at that time, Max Scherzer was a long reliever <laughs> at Mizzou wow. his sophomore year. He wasn't even starting yet um, at Missouri. And so – we go there and we take two or three from the zoo. I think I got a save in one of those games pitched and we we're riding high. We think we're good. We're like Steve and I, Murphy and I were looking at each other like, Holy cow. Like I, I thought the team at central Missouri would have beat the K state mm-hmm. team. You know, that, but here we are ranked in the top 25 D one first year. 
And then Cole, I think we lost like 15 straight games in the Big 12 <laughs> or something. Like it went from two or three Missouri, like we're ranked to, I think we won like one game, two games, maybe the next month once the Big 12 started. And that was, that was Alex Gordon's Nebraska yeah, teams. Yep, I yep. mean, they, there was some talent and then our eyes got open and we're like, mm-hmm. okay, this is more what we expected. So what would you say, I mean, you kind of touched on your eye-opening experience, but I mean, is there one in particular event for you personally where you where you were like oh my goodness like these guys are really good yeah some of the first big 12 games i mean the difference between the kind of mid-level and i always separate some people ask me i always separated you know i went to k-state like are you guys any good it was like compared to what compared to like a just all across d1 we were okay but for a big 12 team like no like we were not a good a team that could compete consistently in the big 12 we didn't mm-hmm. have the pitching we didn't have the hitting we didn't have the depth uh and i was a part of that and so like i played baseball at k-state i'm very proud of that if i was at my absolute best making my best pitches i could compete uh, against some of the best players but there were times that we would play oklahoma state and some of these schools where i would throw like a perfect pitch for me which was a changeup. Mm-hmm. i I threw, I would intentionally go like 2-0, like trying to go three or four inches off the plate with fastballs, trying to get a call mm-hmm. to go 2-0 to then throw a changeup. Like that was my, if they had analytics back, like when I play, like I would not have played college baseball if some of these advanced stats were there because people would realize 2-0, 2-1, like 95% of the time I'm throwing a changeup. Um, so <laughs> that's kind of how I made a living. But yeah, I, when I would make my best pitches and those balls would get hit off the wall. Uh, you know, I throw a two-one changeup like off the plate, away from a lefty, and I was actually better against. I was a right-handed pitcher, but I was mm-hmm. better against lefties. I think lefties hit like one twenty off me, and righties hit like four sixty, <laughs> which is unheard of for a right-handed pitcher. Um, and a side story on that: I, Augie Garrido, former Texas yep, coach, yep, yep. legend, uh, once pinch hit a right-hander against me when I came in, and I remember thinking when later that night after I got off the field. Uh, or after I went home, that Augie Garrido knew enough about me. There you go. I like what I do. <laughs> like a D1 legendary coach yeah. knew enough about me to do that. Like that was, those were the dumb things that I was like, this is cool. Yeah. I got a, I got a, I got a, national championship ring from division two and one of the best coaches in NCAA baseball history knew enough about me to pinch it ready <laughs> against me. These are dumb things that I was taking solace in, but, um, but yeah, I, I lost my train of thought there, Cole. I apologize. <laughs> well, I, I think anytime you're talking about Augie Garrido, I mean, one of yeah. literally the best coaches in the NCAA in any sport, in the history of any sport. Yeah. I mean, that that that's that is that that is pretty cool. Um And Cole, I will tell you this real quick, because Coach Hill has mentioned this before that uh, he said that one of the the, the turning point wins uh in turning the program around um early on was when we went down to Texas. And that was the second year. So that would have been Okay. 2005 mm-hmm. i believe it was yep. um we went down to the university of texas on the road they were the number one team in the country uh, we lost the i want to say it was a saturday this is so long ago and i forget these it was either this friday or the saturday game that we lost on a bad call at home play it was Corey koski was the umpire i'll never forget because we had Corey koski at central missouri we knew koski uh he was the home plate umpire and there was i was pitching uh it was a tie game in the ninth i came in you know, infields in bottom of the ninth, get a ground ball to the second baseman. He throws home uh, and pulls the catcher off the plate a little bit. Catcher was David Baker. And 
the umpire said that his foot wasn't on the plate. And so they called him safe at home, and that's how the game ended. Mm. And there was one out, I think, so it wouldn't have been end of the inning. But uh, it was still a double play ball uh, right to our a one-hopper screamer, especially a, a Texas with that turf. Right. Like The ball was hit quickly. Uh, throw wasn't even rushed. But he called him safe, and then the next morning in the paper, uh, I don't remember what the headline was, but there was a picture that showed our catcher with his foot on the plate <laughs> with the ball in his glove. And, like, we were so angry. Everybody was screaming. So we came back the next day and then won. And so this, again, was, you know, we were struggling. Like, we were still not good mm-hmm. that second year. I know we had a w- we finished with a winning record, but inside the Big 12, we were not good. But that win on the road against the number one team in the country kind of showed everybody, especially the young freshmen who ended up being part of that, you know, super regional team that, you know, we can compete at this level if we do the right things and we have enough talent. If we're at our best, we can compete. They just needed to get some more talent, uh, get guys like me out of there uh, <laughs> and get some, of, get some of those other guys in there that uh, could compete against the best at that level. And, and they ended up getting those guys. But Coach Hills mentioned that win at Texas um, that we did get on Sunday as being one of the biggest wins of the program. And I'm proud that I pitched in that game too. I came in in the ninth inning and got one of the outs. Um, and we won, I think it was like a one run game that we won. And I've always said that that was my world series. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my kind of defining moment of going D one and making that decision to leave my friends and leave my teammates at central Missouri was I got an opportunity to pitch in a win at the number one place in the country at that time. So it, that, that was the turning point for me as a game that as the game that changed everything, but there were a lot of pitches that I threw Cole that I was like, Oh, that's sick. Like out of my hand, I'm like, he ain't hitting that. And then they hit it off the wall. And I was, I just look over like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like that's I, the best pitch I can throw. These I, guys are good. I will tell you that the, the talent in the big 12 now is, is, is still amazing. And, and K state is, is catching up to there and they're catching up very quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing, even at the end of coach Hill's time here, the guys that are having success for K state right now were brought in. By Coach Hill, and one of those guys is Jordan Wicks. And Jordan Wicks will be the most likely will be the first uh, first round draft pick in any sport since for K State since 2009, uh, I believe is what I saw a stat from the other day. Um, right now, he's projected to go, I think, number 17. Um, but I think there's a very good chance he could, you know, continue to move up the ladder with the success he has. As someone who has been around some extremely high level athletes, and also pitched. What if you were to be able to talk to Jordan? What do you think you would give him as one piece of advice as he starts to move into his professional career? As somebody who's never met him and never asked for this advice, I, the one thing that I've learned from being around guys like Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith, uh, I know his name's in the headlines because uh, of his retirement and everything that he's been through, but uh, Tyron Matthew, uh, Chris Jones, all of these guys, they love the process of working. They love the small details of being better at their position. And so a lot of fans and a lot of people who aren't that haven't played, you know, these sports at a high level and they don't see those guys and the work that they put in every day, the little things um, that they're obsessed with the details and the little things and they work on them every day. They're working on Christmas. They're doing all those things. So just because these guys are the best in the world at what they do, doesn't mean they're not working harder than everybody else who's trying to catch them. And so I don't, I don't think I would have to tell Jordan that he's put mm-hmm. himself in this position to be one of the best players in the country, continue doing that, but know that there's no step of the way in which the, it, there becomes less work. It's, there's always going to be more work and it's never going to slow down. So I used to ask, you know, 
John Dorsey and then it was Brett Veach and Coach Reed, you know, always around the combine of how do you tell the difference between a guy who loves football and loves what football can do for him? Mm. Because those are two entirely different things. Who loves this? Who would be Coach Reed would be coaching high school football for free if he wasn't coaching the Chiefs. Like if the NFL wasn't a thing, Coach Hill or excuse me, Coach Reed would still be coaching football somewhere. Um, he's a football guy. And so I don't know as much about, which is weird because I play baseball, the scouting as it, as it relates to baseball and that whole process of getting drafted and all that. But I can tell you, I would be very surprised if it wasn't as similar mm-hmm. in that what this, the guys who get drafted, the ones who are successful and the ones, ones who aren't, it's who can handle uh, you know, being on their own uh, in a lot of ways, especially with baseball in the minor leagues and all my friends who went and did it. There's a lot that's on you individually. Uh, to get better as an individual player. Now, when you're first round pick, you're probably gonna have more resources than a lot of other people. Uh, they get drafted in the 30th round. Uh, but that being said, if, if you love the process and you love the work, then the results will follow. And if you just fall in love with the results, um, you're gonna burn out. And so I've seen it with football players. Some of the most talented you know, players in the draft every year don't pan out uh, because they didn't necessarily love the sport. They loved what the sport was able to do for them or their family or financially setting them up. Um, and so with baseball in particular, because it does take longer to go through the minors and go through that, you got to love the grind. You got to love the game uh, more than what it can do for you. I think you said that perfectly. And as someone who has had a chance to cover him this year and, and cover um, K-State sports in general, he is extremely talented. And I think K-State fans, you know, when you have something right in front of you that you, you you're going to be able to see, you know, like like Byron Pringle we were talking about, for example. I think K-State fans had a pretty good idea he was going to be able to play in the NFL. You got a guy in Jordan Wicks who has a very good opportunity to pitch in the major leagues, which is something that doesn't happen every day. And so I, I've always encouraged K-State fans, when you see something that has an opportunity to be great, make sure you take advantage of it. And I know Jordan uh, will definitely do that. And And last thing before we let you out of here, BJ, is now that you are not necessarily official covering the chiefs can you be more of a fan i would the the good thing for me is i was always a fan and i think that was the the best part about being working for the team and you know there's certain things you can and can't say uh not that it was ever specifically said but you know i'm not gonna be a bunch of critical of a bunch of players mm-hmm. they go in the locker room and try to talk to them because they are human <laughs> beings yeah um, especially when you work for the team and you see them every day um but luckily for me the way that you know i just kind of am and with my personality and i'm, I'm kind of a bleeding heart, empathetic person is that you see when you get inside and cool, you probably see this with the work that you see um, the access and you see the work that these guys put into it. Uh, it gives you a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And just because they don't go out on game day and perform and, and make plays, which is their job and they lose their job if they don't execute their plays, but to see them give everything they have to this, the amount of time they put in, what they put through their bodies, how they have to get prepared every week, you know, getting on the team plane after a game on the road at midnight and seeing how these guys are struggling to get up the stairs because of what they put through their what they put their bodies through to play this game, it gives you a different perspective. So I wasn't necessarily as critical or just saying whatever I wanted. Even now uh, that I work for the team, it hasn't changed what I've said because I understand better what these guys put into it. And some are better than others, and those guys can do that, and everybody can have their opinion. It's just for me to see the amount of work they went in. It's, it seems disrespectful. And I know these guys on a personal level, a lot of them. Um, so always have an opinion about how I think about stuff, but it'll never come as a, as disrespect to any player. Um, 
let alone how successful or not successful they are because you can't get to that level and you can't play for coach Reed if you aren't bought in 100% and willing to give everything. And for me, there's a line to be drawn of how critical you can be of that uh, and not going too far. And luckily good and bad for me, I, I've seen it. And a lot of other fans, they haven't, they, you don't know what you don't know. And the thing for me is I saw it and I do know, and I know better. Uh, so I'll always be careful in that. But the one thing cool I want to say before we go that since the, the audience here is K-State baseball, that, you know, with all the success from the glory years, talking about, you know, A.J. Morris and Rob Vaughn, who's up at the University of Maryland, just absolutely killing it. One of the best dudes I've ever been around in my life, uh, Rob. So I want to see the University of Maryland have all the success in the world. But uh, the one thing that I would say is that I don't think anyone who's a K-State baseball fan should forget Carlos Torres. Mm -hmm. And I know that he's, he's been promoted. You guys have done some stuff with him on social. Yep. Uh, but what Carlos did for our entire program of k-state back in the day when i was playing that first year uh that was my first year at k-state carlos was by far our best pitcher mm -hmm. and they started throwing him on sundays because that was our best chance to win yeah. one game out of a series was to throw our ace on sunday as opposed to matching him up with sam lecure or whoever else um that was playing at tech kyle mccullough uh all these guys at all these david percy at the mm -hmm. university of oklahoma all these top draft picks that you know we had Carlos and Carlos, I don't know what the records are for innings pitched in a season and all that, but we were not very good. And Carlos worked his tail. He's the hardest working player I've ever been around in my life. He had a great career um, great spanning career. almost a decade. Yep. I think, I mean, ten tell years. me if I'm wrong. Yep. 10 years, ten years in the mm -hmm. league as a guy that had two pitches when we were in college <laughs> and, and he lived in university commons. He didn't live too far from me. He still lives in Kansas city. He's still a, a proponent and a supporter of, uh, of a place that he was at four different schools in college. He was mm -hmm. at K-State for just one year, um, transferred from San Jose State to play that year. But while we glorify K-State baseball in the history, I know that that three years that I, I was at K-State <laughs> and the one year that Carlos was there, the success wasn't there, but he carried that torch for K-State baseball. And I'll never beat Texas A&M at Texas A&M when Carlos threw, I think, a complete game that day in front of 5,000 people. Uh, when we weren't very good, there were a handful of times where we could kind of stick out our chest a little bit and feel good about what we were, where we were headed as a program that first year uh, before we beat Texas my junior year. Um, we played at Minute Maid Park, beat Ohio State, uh, and Carlos pitched that game in front of a lot of people um, as Texas and Rice were getting ready to play right after us. <laughs> That's <laughs> why they were there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. I actually do have one last funny story. Sorry. Uh, the first the first weekend games that we had um, for K-State when we were there was down at Minute Maid Park. Uh, it was that Big 12 classic. Right. Uh, we had played Ohio State. Uh, we played Rice. And I think we played like the University of Hawaii or some, something. Some hmm. other team was there. Uh, we hadn't even practiced outside yet because of <laughs> snow. And then we were on the field at Minute, an indoor field at Minute Maid um, playing. And we got our tails kicked. I got shellacked uh, by Paul Yanish hit the train off me. Uh, Paul Yanish was the shortstop at Rice. He was playing for the Reds for a number of years. He got drafted really high. He's a stud. Uh, but I'll never forget, I read Baseball America on the flight back after that tournament. And I was reading about the shortstop who hit a 400-foot home run off me. And Baseball America said, he's and he's major league ready as a defender, but doesn't show much pop with his bat. <laughs> and I just remember being like, well, you're welcome for hanging a slider so you could hit the train off me, um, Paul. But so you could show all those scouts your skills. But the the other thing I remember is that before we played Rice, I was watching the guys warm up um, 
and there was a guy in jeans and like a plaid shirt playing catch out in the outfield at right for rice uh, playing catch with like one of the coaches. And I just, I said it out loud and it was one of those like foot in your mouth type moments. But I was like, this is pretty unprofessional. Like put some, put a Jersey on. Who is this guy? <laughs> Come to find out it was Lance Berkman. Oh. <laughs> because he played for the Astros. Right, so right. Playing at Minute Maid. Uh, and he played for rice for, I think it was Wayne Graham was his name. He's a long time, like 50 year coach at mm-hmm. rice. He's a legend. Uh, that played Lance Berkman was coach. He was playing there. He's coach said, come out and play catch. So I was over there like trashing Lance Berkman, right. And then like his prime for the Astros. Yeah. Uh, and then Roger Clemens threw a bullpen oh, wow. with, before our game. And then Craig Biggio like walked out during a game in one of our, uh, in the middle of one of our games from like the internal, like the dugout that was connected mm-hmm. through ours. But anyway, I'll never forget, uh, Carlos. And I don't think, uh, K-State fans should forget that name. If anybody remembers anything about those first few years, uh, Carlos carried that torch, represented K-State really well throughout his entire major league career, and he was a great dude. Um, and so that's my two cents for K-State baseball fans. Do not forget Carlos Torres uh, because he was the first guy that I played with uh, that made it to the major leagues and, and played a long time. And then it was Nick Martini after mm-hmm. that. Yep. Um, it was right after I got done. He actually played for me when I, I ran the team in Junction City, the summer team, for a few years. So... Uh, we got those two guys, but let's not forget Carlos. There you go. Jordan Wicks will not be far behind and hopefully joining that class. BJ, thanks a lot for coming on today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Next time you come down to Manhattan, don't be a stranger to uh, hit up Fitz, hit up myself, and we'll take you out and show you a good time. How about that? Yeah, you guys, absolutely. You know I'll hit you up and hit up Smoller and Kenny Lanou and Lackey and oh, all yeah. those guys. Uh, we come all the time. I mean, my wife, my in-laws still live there. We've got two young kids. Uh, we're back all the time. We were there for the spring game a couple weeks ago for the football practice. So definitely look you guys up. Love K-State. Love Manhattan. Uh, we'll do everything I can in my current job to help promote and help K-State athletics in every way that I can. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully the, the baseball team keeps it going and Coach Hughes uh, keeps everything going. It seems like it's going great so far. Awesome. Thanks a lot, BJ. All right. Thanks, Cole. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. PowerCat Podcast, all rights reserved. Go powercat.com. Mm-hmm.